This is The Weekender on Y95, brought to you by Eris Yarmouth. Good morning and welcome to The Weekender on Y95, brought to you by Eris Yarmouth, your one-stop healthy home center. I'm Kevin Northup. The Weekender for Saturday, December 3rd, 2022. Coming up this hour, the Yarmouth Mariners are near the top of the standings in the MHL. We recap the season and look ahead with head coach and GM Lori Barron. A project by students at Acadia University is gathering important information about lobster in southwest Nova Scotia. Jacob Postawaite speaks with master's student Marco Turner. And the Yarmouth Fire Department will host a fundraiser for the Yarmouth Fuel Bank on December 8th. Chief Mike DeVoe gives us the details. The Weekender returns in a moment on Y95. Welcome back to The Weekender on Y95. I'm Kevin Northup. We're a little over a third of the way through the uh, MHL season, and the Yarmouth Mariners, as of this recording right now, are sitting tied for first place in the East Link South Division with the Churro Bearcats. It's been a great start to the season for the team, uh, and here to talk more about uh, you know the success that Yarmouth has had so far this season is head coach and general manager, Lori Barron. Good morning, Lori. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Always great to have you on, Lori, and, and talk about the team and uh where do we start, I guess, from your aspect of where the success comes from on this team? Um, uh, what has stood out the most to you through the first uh, 25 games or so here? Well, I guess uh, we didn't get off to the best start. Uh, we were 4-4 four and four after our first eight, and, um, you know, it was funny. We were out shooting teams. We were just finding ways to lose rather than ways to win, and then uh, just made a couple little changes, and... Um, um, things just fell into place. Uh, we started, you know, timely goals and good goaltending, and our back end was always real solid. So, um, you know, a couple of a couple of changes uh, uh, with players coming in, players leaving, and it just seemed to click. And it always takes a little bit for players to click. I know you've got a you know a few weeks of training camp, it's some exhibition games, and everything. So a little slow out of the gate there. But oh, what are some of those changes that you've seen that's really made a difference with this club? Well, I think bringing in Joey Lavello certainly uh, certainly helped. Uh, our goaltending tandem has been uh, has been very good. Keegan Warren, uh, for you know, a rookie, has jumped in and played extremely well. And then Joey just came in and uh, uh, from the North American League and just solidified our goaltending. And uh, and uh, both guys' numbers are extremely good. Mm-hmm. And Christopoulos was the goaltender to start the year, but he decided to go back home to to Montreal area. Yeah, Christoph is uh, uh, just an unbelievable human being and just a, a great teammate. Um, he decided that his schooling was more important, and he he lost just a little passion for the game. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, junior hockey is something you have to be all in. And um, he wanted to get started uh, with his uh, with his studies, and we certainly understood. And like I say, he was just a first class uh, human being. Definitely, and uh, always good to see when kids, you know, can put their priorities where they lie and everything. So that's uh, certainly nice. We wish Kristoff all the best there. But Lavallo is here, and he's right now your your number one goaltender. Yeah, well, it's been a great little battle between him and uh, Keegan Warren. Uh, they've got a good competition there, and both guys want the crease, and uh, it's been it's been very good. Very nice indeed. And uh, you and I talked last week about, uh, you know, the road record uh, for the Mariners. I believe it's 7-2 uh, and two or 8-2 and two right now. Um, the success there, you, you pointed to special teams a lot where your power plays is like around 40%. Yeah, it's crazy how sometimes, um, you know, we seem to keep it a little more simple on the road. 
Um, you know, our power play has been exceptional and, and, you know, scored timely goals for us on the road. And, um, and, and we've been tight defensively too on the road. You know, we haven't, uh, both honestly, our goals against is, uh, tops in the league. We've got the best goal differential in the league. Um, and I kind of, I can hang my hat in that. I, I like when we're, uh, good defensively, um, uh, goals come and go, but when the real season comes around the playoffs, you got to be tight defensively. And we've done that so far this year. And as of this chat right now, uh, like I mentioned, sitting a tie for first in the East Link South Division, five-game winning streak, uh, four of those coming on the road. And uh, I want to talk about that game in Truro that you had there last Friday. How big was that for you guys as far as a measuring stick to see, hey, this is the team that we're chasing. How can we go into this building in Truro, which is a tough place to win, against a tough coach like Sean Evans, of course, and take that game? Yeah, I think it was big for us. Um, We felt like the two games that we played Truro at home, we were right there. Uh, We outshot them in both games. I'd say we outplayed them probably four of the six periods, but... Again, we found they found ways to beat us. So uh, going into their barn and winning was huge for us. Again, we didn't get the start we wanted. We were just okay in the first period. Um, maybe the hockey gods looked after us a little bit because it was tied 1-1 after 1, and we probably didn't deserve that. Uh, but the second and third, we played unbelievable. And uh, credit to the team and uh, all 20 guys pulling on the rope. So it was it was a big win for us. And um, it was funny because every we've been our battle cry as of late has been we want to get in that top 20 in Canada and uh, it was nice to see that when it came out Monday morning uh, you know sneaking in that 20 spot and as one of the top 20 teams in Canada is a feather in the players cap definitely out of what 130 some teams in the CJHL so the Mariners right now are top 20 Uh, always like to hear that and a well-deserved ranking uh, for your club Um, and Overall, I mean, we talked about goaltending. You talked about your defense and how well that's built. That's really anchored by your two co-captains, isn't it? With Burke and, and with Kieran Burke and Ben Rood. Yeah, they're both like they're the they're the twin towers back there. You know, they play against the other team's top line. Um, they're the shutdown pairing. You know, they they kill. They're the first over the boards, killing penalties. Um, they're. Uh, they're top-notch players, and it's just tough on other teams going against them physically. Um, so that's big for us. Um, and then, obviously, you know, you got the the third gem there with Tammy Ataki, who's just, you know, munches minutes and, and play, plays um, effortlessly and great edges. And uh, so he's he's been big for us as well. A lot of times, Attacky is the guy that, that goes out there and he looks like he's just shot out of a cannon, doesn't he? I mean, he can go from that uh, that blue line right to the offensive zone and contribute a, a kind of an offensive defenseman uh, as well for you guys. Yeah, he, he skates at the next level. Um, he sees the ice very well and, uh, and makes good decisions, and uh, he's been huge for us. Um, you know, uh, we're, we're lucky we're deep in the back end, and I, I think to win, that's, that's, a big part of, that's a big part of it. And, uh, yeah, the blue line's always been built very well. And the, and the forward core uh, this year, I, I, I noticed last year Riley Mame was kind of your guy for your leading goal scoring. But I noticed when I look at the stats, uh, the goal scoring's kind of been divvied up amongst a few players this year. Every, everyone's really contributing. Yeah, you know, uh, Maynard obviously is, is one of the, you know, one of the better offensive players in the league and, um, you know, good in the power play and, and, and a tower of strength in front of the net. Uh, Ryan Semple's having a, an unbelievable season this year, and 
um, you know, um, has been right from day one, uh, one of our leaders and uh, both on and off the ice. So it's it's great to have a, a local guy, um, you know, kind of jump in in this final year of his junior career and just say that, uh, you know, he wants to make a difference this year. So good, good for Ryan. Um, Jerome Gilbert has jumped in and been very, very good. He's nursing an injury right now. Uh, we hope to get him back soon. And, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Reed Voss has been very, very good as well. Uh, you know, uh, center in the first line, uh, playing in all situations, power play, penalty kill, and um, five on five against the other team's top line. So, uh, yeah, lots of uh, lots of uh, different, you know, uh, different looks. And Alex Rude's had a breakout season mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, find the back of the net and at six foot five, um, you know, he's, he's trouble for all teams. Did you anticipate that from Alex Rude this year? I know he only had a handful of goals last year, I think, but this year he's potted in what, 11 or 12? Yeah. Yeah. No, he, I think he's tied for the team league in goals. You could see it coming. Um, you know, he's, uh, he's a kid that's, you know, basically just, uh, growing into his body and, uh, um, you know, uh, just a quiet, unassuming guy that goes about his business, and and he's got a nose for the net. When he gets an opportunity, uh, he doesn't miss. And you talked about Reed Voss. Um, nice to see him rewarded with that hat trick. They didn't give it to him right away. They gave the goal to Semple, but they uh, everyone in the building knew that was Reed Voss's goal. So you talked about that. Uh, that top line center role is so important on a hockey team. Yeah, it's it's big. They, you know, they. For us, we match up. You know, we like to go power against power. So a lot of times, our first line's max matched up against the other team's first line. And um, you know, Reed's 19 years old. It seems like he's. You keep thinking of him as almost like a 20 year old, but um, he's been big for us. And uh, uh, it was real cool the other night. His dad was in town, got to see the uh, the hat trick. So that's uh, that's that's unreal for us. And and Reed to to have that opportunity and nice to, for that to happen at home every now and again. And you talked about uh, the Jeromes, Jerome Nadeau and Jerome Gilbert uh, coming from Quebec this year. New players to to the area, new players to Yarmouth. Uh, from both of them, what have you liked? I know they've played in the top line many a times. They they match up pretty well. Yeah, no, they they've both been really really good. Uh, Gilbert's uh, you know a centerman that uh, is very smooth, good in the faceoff circle, plays well beyond his years. Um, plays like a veteran, so he's been he's been very good. And like I say, unfortunately, nursing an injury right now. We hope to have him back soon. And um, Jerome Nadeau was a, a guy that's a right shot uh, winger. That again, great shot, uh, offensively gifted. Uh, got off to a great start, and unfortunately, he's been nursing an injury. He's been trying to play through it. So we're hope, hoping to get him back to a hundred percent, and because uh, he did get off to such a great start. And uh, that happens throughout the season, of course. Injuries, you deal with it. Next guy steps up. So uh, definitely hoping to, to see that. And uh, a six-game road trip now to start uh, for your team. It's uh, a lot of New Brunswick. It's Summerside once. Uh, of course, it's happening while the Canadian uh, Seniors Curling Championship takes over uh, Mariner Center this next uh, coming week. So uh, for you, how do you how do you navigate that six-game swing? I guess it's uh, two or three weekends that you're away from the fish tank. Yeah, well, we've been lucky. We've, you know, we've played well on the road. We embrace the road, uh, you know. Um, most teams are pretty good at home. Uh, we want to we want to be a team that's that's tough to play against on the road. Uh, it shows character, and so far this year we've been very good. This will be a test. 
Um, we're no different than everybody else, and, and I think everywhere is we've got the, the flu bug going through. We've got that cold going through. Um, you know, we haven't had full practice here in the last week and a half, two weeks. We've been missing two and three guys, but um, there's no excuses. That's Everybody's gone through it, so um, we'll uh, – We'll embrace it. It's great for the guys, especially some new guys that we brought in to get to know the guys on you know these long road trips. Camelton's a nine-hour trip, so you, <laughs> you'll get to know everybody on that trip. And then uh, Miramichi is a tough building to go into as well. So uh, it'll be a great test, and uh, and uh, we're uh, you know that's part of that's part of being a Yarmouth Mariners. We spend a lot of time in the bus, and uh, I think it brings us together as a hockey club. Yep, and we'll we'll be uh, approaching the halfway mark of the season, kind of towards the end of December. So, and I know that means uh, the trade deadline will be coming up soon. Um, when you look at your roster right now, as the general manager of this team, do you feel you're a couple of pieces away from being a legitimate contender, or do you feel you've got the pieces in place now? No, I think we've. Uh, I think we're two pieces away right now. Um, you know, so when you can say that at um, before that December first. Um, shut down or trade freeze, whatever you want to call it, you're in pretty good shape. Um, like I say, when we get off to a four and four start, you always kind of wonder is this, you know, do we have the right pieces? We made a few, we tinkered a little bit and, um, you know, brought in some pieces like Michael Marquez, who, who really mm. uh, gave, us a, gave us a boost. And, um, you know, right now, I think we're probably two forwards away from being where we, where we want to be. Um, probably, you know, at least one, one of them being a centerman. Um, I've got two 20-year-old spots open. One's an import spot and can be a new 20, and one's uh, just a, a regular spot. So um, we'll probably, you know, if the price is right, we'll probably take advantage of that. And, um, and again, it's got to be the right person. Uh, we want to bring in good players, but we want to bring in good people. So that's if they, if they fit that build, then right. then we'll do it. Just as important that that's what it means to be a Mariner. You've got to fit in with the mold of the team. And another guy you brought in too from uh, California was Tyler Lee. Uh, really like the play, his play that he shows, and he's he's been putting some points up on the board too from the blue line. Tyler's very very gifted. Um, you know, not big in stature, but uh, um, plays with an edge. Um, sees the ice very well. Um, very good in the power play, um, and and he was a big boost for us. Absolutely, bringing him aboard was uh, uh, was big, and we've kind of got that uh, you know uh, Franco Calaveria, you know same same thing. Uh, they both have the same agent. Uh, getting those guys to come in, one at eighteen and one nineteen, just boosted our already solid back mm-hmm. end. So it, that's been important. That's right, and. Uh... This year at the Fish Tank's been a lot of fun. Um, you're getting upwards of some games, 1,200 fans back in the rink. Um, coming out of a pandemic, what have you noticed, I guess, uh, from that stance? Well, I think it feels like it feels like the Fish Tank. It feels like it, it used to be, uh, which is pretty cool. Um, you know, you go around to some of the, some of the uh, rinks and, you know, you play in front of 400, 500, and it's okay, but to get home here and play in front of, you know, 1200, 1150, the place is rocking. Um, you know, the, the ownership groups worked hard, uh, to make sure that it's not just hockey. We're trying to make it a night out and a, an enjoyable night. And, um, that's, you know, that's big. Um, that's, and that's what we wanted to hang, kind of hang our hat on and, and be different this year to make sure there was a good experience for everyone. And I think fans are really enjoying those bubbles and the and the intermissions, right? Where you get the bubble races and the the bubble soccer going. That's not too bad, eh? I can't help but uh, peek my head out and watch <laughs> a little bit of it in between periods. 
Yeah, exactly. I know you're talking to the team, but you want to see what's going on there too. That's for sure. It's uh, it's it's nice to see that many fans back in in the in the building, and and you've had some great initiatives this year too. Pink in the Rink was a, a massive, massive success for for breast cancer research and the Edwin Janky Cancer Center here at the hospital. Yeah, that was that was one that just you know it makes you proud to be uh, you know to live in this area and and have the the backing that we do and. Um, you know, to be able to give a check, you know, of that magnitude to, uh, you know, a great cause was, was, was nice. It was heartwarming and, you know, the players, the players thought it was great. And, uh, not only our fans chipped in, but also, uh, players, families and so mm-hmm. on. So uh, a lot of pride there and, uh, and yeah, it was, it was, it was great to see. And, um, um, you know, that's, uh, it's a tribute to our, you know, our fan base. And it's been fun to be the arena announcer. And every game, I notice there's there's parents, like you said, there's parents there coming from Newfoundland. I think we had Tyler Lee's dad in from LA uh, last week. So so how cool is that to see the parents being able to come back? Because it's been what three years since we've been able to have that. Yeah, it's awesome. And you know, hockey's such a family. Um, you know, the parents have to make such a commitment to get players to this level. So it's great to see uh, families in, and it's great for me to get a chance just to meet them face-to-face. You know, most times I've talked to them on the phone or through email and f- FaceTime and so on, but it's really nice to meet them face-to-face and, uh, and, and be able to, you know, tell them a little bit about the area, show them around a little bit. And, and it's, it's, you know, when people come in, um, they talk about, one, how friendly people are, two, how beautiful Yarmouth is, and, and I guess we, we take both of those for granted sometimes. And I know the tourism industry certainly loves to hear that, you know, hearing people coming from away and, and, and saying those things about Yarmouth, which is always nice. And, uh, uh, yeah, so back at the fish tank, uh, 1,200 fans a game. It's it's looking real nice. We're not back again until the 15th of December uh, when, when Yarmouth hosts Valley, but I think five or six home games coming up in January. So, um, still all sorts of opportunities to get tickets uh, for the games and uh, and lots more promotions uh, coming on the way too, right? Yeah, that's. I mean, we want to fill it. That's uh, you know that's that's what we're looking for, and and the atmosphere um, certainly drives drives everyone. Um, you know, it's great. Uh, it unfortunately, I think I think te- teams coming in. I think we have a little bit of the old Chicago Blackhawk, uh, um, you know, spinoff of teams love playing here you know if you're a team that plays in front of three or four or five hundred getting to play in front of you know 12 to 1500 in Yarmouth is 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 fun so we don't catch anyone sleeping and I guess uh, to be fair now that we're in the top 20 and now that we're in first place or tied for first place uh, we're not sneaking up on anybody so it's uh every night you got to be ready to go and uh it's been uh, it's been a great season the the league is the parodies through the roof as good as it's ever been uh, the quality of hockey is very, very good. So, uh, you know, if you haven't been out and had a chance to have a peek, it's a, it's a great product. Yeah, uh, make sure you get out to a game uh, very, very soon. Again, the 15th is the next uh, opportunity for that in December. So, uh, like I said, lots of uh, road uh, travels for you coming up over the next uh, little bit. And I know the players have been integrated back into the community too, and I'm noticing that Icy Nights has started back up. Yeah, Icy Nights is something that, um, you know, obviously very, very proud of. And, um, you know, being off for two years, I think – even myself, I forgot how big it was and how important it was. Um, the the first night, uh, I think we had uh, 12 Icy Night uh, patrons back. 
Uh, the next, there was 18, and then the last two, there's been 22. So it's just awesome. Uh, we meet in Port Maitland at the gym. We play some sports. We hang out, um, have some snacks. Um, but if anybody gets a chance to come out and watch Icy Nights for 15 or 20 minutes, you'll see that uh, the players just do a fantastic job. And, and the Icy Night patrons are just, you know, they're beaming and the smiles and everything. It's, uh, it's, it's just, uh, it's heartwarming. It's, it's awesome. And I can tell you firsthand, uh, my daughter goes to it. And Tuesday night, it's uh, circled every week. So uh, it's, a, it's a great thing. Big night in the Baron house for sure. Absolutely. Tuesday night. <laughs> Gotta love it. Well, uh, we, we like to hear that Nat enjoys it. Nat's like the assistant coach out there, isn't she? Yeah, she doesn't miss many practices <laughs> or any games. So, yeah, no, we uh, – um, she's uh, – players all know Nat by the first name. And, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's a big it's a big part of – obviously the Mariners is a big part of our family. Definitely. And, and speaking of your family, uh, Matt Barron's uh, your son, of course, former Mariners captain, one of the best scorers in the history of this team, uh, is playing uh, high-level hockey this year. Tell me about what he's up to. Yeah, well, Matty, uh, Matty started the year in the East Coast League, and uh, things didn't work out there, so he's in the Southern Professional League now in Evansville. Um, got off to uh, got off to a great start. Uh, I think he's either first or second in rookie scoring and top ten in the league in scoring, and uh, get to watch him on uh, hockey TV. So that's pretty cool. And um, you know, he's uh, um, he's car- trying to carve out a career, and I think uh, what people don't realize is just how many good hockey players there is and mm. and how hard it is it's a it's certainly a battle it's a job you got to punch the clock every day and you know you're playing for the team that uh you know that that put you on a contract but you're also playing to try and you know make it back up to the next level mm-hmm. and and so yeah it's it's been uh it's been a an interesting road to watch and uh um but it is uh, it's nice to be able to watch uh, watch all the games and is in stat and and uh and, and be a dad and critique and you know that's uh, that kind of thing mm-hmm. and you were his coach too of course for for many years so uh always uh, like to share that advice with him after the game i'm sure yeah he probably doesn't want to hear it he probably <laughs> probably heard my voice enough but yeah no it's uh it's uh, it's been good and if, if anybody gets a chance to watch the southern professional league it's uh it's great hockey and and, uh, and it's kind of cool to see a few ex-mariners uh in the league mm. and yeah speaking of ex-mariners uh, there's the team in ontario in u sports that has i think five or six uh different mariners on that squad like leaf hurts and sam gillis and, and those guys so it just goes to show like after the mariners it, it's not over for a lot of these kids they go on to play high level hockey yeah no we've been lucky uh, to uh to get guys to move on, uh, not this weekend, but next weekend, uh, we'll meet up with uh, the Ontario Tech coach on our uh, road trip, and um, you know he's um, he's done well with the Yarmouth Mariner players. You mentioned Leaf Hertz and Sam Gillis and Noah McMullen, um, and that's where Matt was as well uh, before he left and went to pro. So um, we've got uh, we've got players all across the map, and uh, just seen Matthew Pompey scored the other day mm. playing pro over in Europe. So. All kinds of all kinds of ex Mariners uh, out there uh, making their mark, and uh, and every time you see the a name, um, you know makes you smile and makes you feel good that they were able to play here. Definitely, and uh, we talked about all the different promotions that the Mariners have done this year, and I know Remembrance Day was big. You had a, a Armed Forces night. Uh, to see uh, Jim McRae, who we just uh, celebrated his 105th birthday, got to drop the puck that night. 
pretty cool moment, I think. Uh, one of the cooler moments at the fish tank this year. That was unbelievable um, to, to get a chance to see that. And I know the players were all just, you know, they were, they were tickled and said it was just, it was such a cool thing. And we actually uh, did a card up for him for his birthday and, uh, and sent him a Mariners t-shirt. Nice. So, uh, <laughs> and I know he, he still has the puck near and dear. So um, yeah, he's, uh, he's a, you know, talk about a, a wonderful human being and somebody that can, um, you know, uh, the stories he can tell. So that's, uh, it's pretty cool. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Lori, for being here. And I know you're you're going to embark on the road today, that nine-hour trip to uh, to Campbellton. And Campbellton is a tough team this year. I, I haven't seen a whole lot of the North Division, but uh, you look at them as one of the stronger teams in that division. Yeah, Campbellton's very, very good. And they've just made a couple of more moves. So they're, they're I think uh, probably them and Summerside are probably the two top dogs over on the other side. Um, and playing on the Olympic ice surface is always mm. a little – a little tedious and we go a little short staffed here um when we take off but that's like i say that's that's when you, your character comes through and we'll try and play a real tight defensive game and and uh yeah we look forward to it and i always love going into camelton look at the ice because it brings back memories of uh, winning the championship there so that's right that's right heavy's i can still see Pevy's goal every time <laughs> i look at the ice so 2019 game four it was uh, a magical moment no doubt and uh, we hope to see more of that uh, this year laurie thanks so much and uh happy new year merry christmas uh, and we'll have you in after the trade deadline and, and recap any moves you might make Absolutely. Thanks, Kevin. Okay. Laurie Barron, head coach and GM of the Yarmouth Mariners, about to go on a six-game road trip. They'll be back at the Fish Tank December 15th. Uh, you can get your tickets for that game at the Mariners Center box office. The Weekender returns in a moment on Y95. Awesome. Welcome back to The Weekender on Y95. I'm Jacob Postlewaite. I'm joined today by Marco Turner, a master's student at Acadia University, who's studying lobster populations here in the Tri-Counties. He's joining us to discuss a project that could give us some deeper insight into everything surrounding lobster in the area. Thanks so much for joining me, Marco. Yeah, thank you for having me. So first off, oh yeah, it's great to have you. So first off, just tell us what your project is all about. Yeah, so uh, I am a master's student at Acadia University, and I tag and hopefully recapture lobster around the province so that we can get a better understanding of where the lobster migrates between fishing seasons. Oh, that's interesting. So tell us about why you wanted to set this up. Well, as I'm sure most people around the South Shore know, lobster is one of Canada's most valuable fisheries. So it's important to understand how their populations are doing and where and when and why they move. Awesome. So you you, uh, you mentioned to me that you have been doing this for a little while now. So tell us a little bit about how this got started and the work that you've been doing so far. Yeah, so we work with the uh, Brazil Rock Lobster Association. And last summer, that would be summer of 2021, we started tagging lobster around uh, Yarmouth, Argyle area. And then we continued that project this year, tagging more lobster. And so we've got about 5,500 tagged lobsters to date. And we are relying on the local harvesters to recapture the lobsters within season and then provide the second half of the data, basically where they caught them. So, yeah. Yeah, we'll chat about that in a little bit. So uh, tell us about some of what you've been learning so far working on this project about lobster here in the Tri-Counties. Well, there's lots of them, for starters. 
But uh, also, we have found lobster actually migrate a surprising distance uh, between the summer and the winter, which a lot of the local fishermen already knew. But it's nice to kind of get some data supporting that. But in the winter, they tend to move to deeper offshore areas. And then in the summer, you find them in shallower, more inshore zones. So that's probably one of our biggest findings so far. And hopefully our recapture data will continue to support that. Yeah, that's interesting. And you mentioned, of course, uh, lobster population. That's a thing that's always on a lot of people's minds. Uh, So what are you learning about lobster stocks here in the area? So we're comparing temperature data as temperature changes over the years. And we're also comparing counts, basically, how many lobster are caught and where they're caught to kind of come up with an estimate whether or not the population is doing all right or the populations are doing all right of lobster off of Nova Scotia. And we're actually finding that they're, they're doing pretty well, actually. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Tell us more about that. Uh, so are, that means are, are stocks sort of going up? Or are they sort of staying yeah, at, a, so at a good level? In- yeah, in recent years, we've had some of the highest reported landings uh, ever. So, yeah, we're, we're doing great. Um, they tend to like this kind of moderately warmer water, not too, too warm water, but a little bit warmer than uh, like historical data has shown. So it's definitely, uh, they, they breed a bit better and, and they're a little bit more active. So they, there are a lot more. Yeah. And tell us more about some of those migration patterns you mentioned earlier. Yeah, so my work, basically in the summer, we tag a lot of the lobster inshore in the shallow areas and let's say a little like shallower than 50 fathoms approximately. And then in the offshore, in the winter, the fishermen go offshore and and are able to find the same lobster that I tag inshore up to about 120 kilometers away. They've moved in a period of three to six months, which is pretty impressive. And so, yeah, it's, it's a known phenomenon or a, a somewhat well-documented phenomenon that they move offshore to kind of overwinter, but especially among the fishermen, but it hasn't been supported in a ton of data previously. So that's kind of my project. So, yeah. And you're also trying to learn a little bit more about the lobsters themselves. So tell us about that. Yeah. So I, I want to look at basically do larger lobsters move more during the winter or the summer? Do males move more during the winter or the summer? Do females? I want to compare individual biological metrics to uh, this migration information so, so that we can predict or come up with a model that says, hey, larger lobster tend to go offshore for the winter or tend to stay in place and, and come up with a bit more information on that. I, I think that it's generally uh, there's generally an idea of what's happening among the fishermen but it's not super well published or talked about so i'm kind of trying to formalize that okay so with all that in mind uh what are you finding so far uh yeah so we're finding well i haven't done all of my stats yet so you're gonna have to (laughs) excuse me on that but i am finding that the females tend to stay stay in one place the females don't move as much um in the winter that's usually because they're devoting more energy to producing, to reproducing, to producing eggs. Um, but yeah, I haven't had enough data as of yet to come up with an idea on what's going on with size. So do bigger lobster move, but hopefully with this season of recapture data, I'll be able to add to that. Well, it's an ongoing project, of course. And uh, yeah, how, yeah. yeah, yeah. so how long do you plan to uh, conduct this project? Um, I believe we currently, we're currently planning for a four-ish year project, but We'll see how the recaptures go. We've got a lot of our tagging done already. We might do a little bit more next summer and then 
kind of see how long it takes for all the data to come back to us. Okay, so when this started, when you got going with this, uh, what did members of the commi- the fishing community think when you brought this idea to them? Well, I I actually wasn't a part of the beginning of this project, but the uh, the Brazil Rock came to us actually and said that look, we want to do a project looking at uh, offshore lobster around the area, and we had some students in our lab that were like, yeah, let's get on this and let's tag some lobsters. So we kind of just jumped into it head first. And then this summer we got a little bit more funding for that. So the, we were able to kind of upscale the project and say, let's do a lot more trips, do a lot more tagging and, and get a wider distribution of, of where we're tagging the lobster rather than just the, the one area out of, or the two areas out of Argyle. So, yeah. So have you been out on the water then uh, tagging these lobsters yourself? Yep, yep, yep. I spent about 35-ish days out on the water this summer. Um, I was out of Bridgewater, I was out of Argyle area, and out of Briar Island with four separate lobster captains that we work with. So, yeah, they've been generous enough to let us go out with them and learn how to, how first of all, how lobster fishing is done. And then also, we basically just spent the day tagging lobster and, and then re-releasing them and recording all the information of how many were caught, the size of the lobster, the sex of the lobster, the, the quality, like if if they're injured, how well they're doing, the shell hardness. And uh, then obviously we tagged them and, and measured or recorded the location that they were released at. So, yeah. Well, you've really been all over the area. It must give you like a good sense of, you know, not just in like this, you know, looking at one specific area, but you mentioned like going down to Bridgewater and all that. So it must give you a good sense of like the whole area then. Yeah, so we've been focusing on LFAs 33 and 34. Those are financially the two largest um, lobster fishing areas around the province. So that's kind of why we decided to focus on those. And then that's also where Brazil Rock operates out of. So yeah, we've got a pretty decent spread. (laughs) So what's it been like to work with those fishers out on the water? It's actually been a lot of fun. I'll I'll be honest. Sometimes early mornings, but it has been a lot of fun. Um, We've had we've been pretty lucky with weather for most of the summer because typically the summer is a bit calmer than when they actually do go out for their fishing. But, uh, it's been, it's been a good time spend the days, uh, out on the boat. We've seen lots of other cool wildlife porpoises and some whales and sunfish and seals and all kinds of other marine life, which is always exciting. Some sharks and yeah, it's always good. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you mentioned earlier, a big part of this is learning from lobsters that are recaptured by local fishers. So tell us more about that. Yeah, so I, to get any of the recaptured data, I rely 100% on the local harvesters in the area. When they go out throughout the winter, they collect, you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of lobster. And anytime they catch one, there's a chance it's one of mine, one that I've, I've tagged. And so I just want to really stress that if they do, if anybody's listening and they do catch one of my lobster to email me, there's a email on printed on all the tags. It's lobster at AcadiaUniversity.com, AcadiaU.com. And there's also a website, which is the exact same. It's lobster.acadiau.com. And if they go on online, they can report the tag, tell me where they caught it, the depth they caught it at, if they, if they have that information. And it really helps the project because without that, I can't do the second half of the migration information. So, yeah. Yeah, it's very important. So if you are listening, you know, make sure you follow all that advice if you do pull up a tagged lobster. Yeah. And you can also text. There's a phone number posted on the website and 
a lot of the lobster fishermen should also be receiving a message out in the next couple of days, re-updating with all that information in case anybody didn't catch it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, wrapping up here a little bit, uh, give us another sense of you know what you're hoping hoping to determine from this study. Yeah, so I just like to get a better understanding. There hasn't been a lot of work in the last few years on lobster around the province, or at least in 33s and 30 LFAs 33 and 34. So I'm kind of trying to update some of the known information or known findings to give us a bit more of a modernized understanding of what's going on with the offshore lobster populations around here. So, yeah. And one last time, uh, tell us where people can find out more, you know, not just about when they they bring up a tag lobster, but where can they find out more just about the project in general? Yeah, so that's at lobster.acadiau.ca. It's a website online. If you type in Lobster Acadia, it's the first thing that pops up. Great. Is there anything else you wanted to share about the project? Uh, no, I think that's pretty much it for me. I hope to hear lots from all the fishermen in uh, LFAs 33 and 34 as the fishing season opens up next week. Well, I'm sure it's going to be pretty good. It's going to looking to be a busy season, and uh, I'm sure you'll get a whole lot of data from all of this. Yep, I hope so. Well, Marco, I want to thank you so much for joining us today, for, for sharing a little bit more about this project. It's certainly something that a lot of people are going to be interested in. So, yeah, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Great to be here. <laughs> that was Marco Turner, a master's student at Acadia University. The Weekender returns in a moment on Y95. Back to the weekender on Y95. I'm Kevin Northup. Yarmouth Fire Department's holding a very important fundraiser coming up on December the 8th, and uh, the chief of the Yarmouth Fire Department joins us in studio this morning to talk about this and uh, a lot of other things about the fire department. Uh, Mike DeVoe is with us. Chief DeVoe, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. December the 8th. Let's start with that. Um, as I mentioned, it's a very important fundraiser. I understand the funds there are going towards the fuel bank. Uh, tell us a bit about that. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, last year we did a, we did some fundraising uh, for the, uh, you know, hats and mittens, coats for the, for the, for, you know, local children. There's a few different organizations uh, that were doing a similar thing, raising, uh, you know, getting these things for the kids. And uh, we just felt that this year we didn't want to, uh, I guess, compete. Uh, you know, there's only so much to go around. And we decided that uh, after speaking with uh, Bill Newell, um, that it would be a, a, a worthy uh, cause to to try and get some money for the fuel bank. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of families uh, this year that they they sit, are, are assuming are going to have some struggles. Mm-hmm. So we'd like to be able to uh, support those families. Yeah, it's tough for everyone out there right now, especially with the price of uh, you know, price of fuel. Of course, uh, everyone's certainly feeling the pinch. Uh, how important is this for you guys to be able to to donate to this initiative this year? Well, um, you know, as as firefighters uh, and and you know the the, the mindset that we have, uh, you know, we we love to be able to give back to our community. Um, you know, we're obviously very engaged in our community, and uh, we uh, all feel that it's. Uh, you know, a very worthy cause. Uh, you know, we we need to be able to do all we can to support uh, our, our our community for sure. So December the eighth, it's happening from uh, six until eight, and it's going to be at the Canadian Tire parking lot. So, what can folks expect to see when they come up to the fundraiser? Uh, similar to last year, um, we're going to have uh, a bunch of our apparatus uh, on on site there. Um, we're going to have our ladder truck. Uh, we're going to decorate the ladder specifically, uh, and that'll be raised up. Uh, to the sky so that uh, you know people driving by can see it of course all the other apparatus will have lights 
uh, you know, turned on, and uh, we'll try and be visible as we can. Sounds great. Uh, it's going to be really nice for everyone to see, and I know the kids will certainly enjoy to, to come out to that. Yeah, uh, it's actually a very good outreach for us. Uh, we always try as much as we can to get out there and and uh, speak with the kids and adults, but, you know, kids specifically, you know, around, uh, you know, the fire prevention and, you know, uh, getting them to engage with the, the firefighters, the, the career and the volunteer staff so that they're, uh, you know, less likely to be uh, to be afraid of us if, if it, it comes to rise that they need our help. Uh, you know, with all that equipment on, uh, we can look a little little scary at times, and uh, we, we try to use all these events to, uh, you know, ha- have the kids see us uh, and, and get used to the idea that we're just people behind the masks and all the equipment. Well, I know I had my son out to the fire department for Halloween, and he certainly liked that. You guys handed out some treats there. We did, yeah. It was <laughs> uh, it was really good. Uh, we, we handed out about, uh, about 200 treats. Uh, to different kids, of course, uh, you know, a few of them come inside and they decided they wanted to go in the apparatus. We always invite that. Uh, we like for, you know, families and to, to be able to come into the fire hall and, and feel uh, comfortable with uh, having their children around and look at the trucks and become familiar. Uh, it's, it's great to see. And uh, so with this, how can people uh, make a donation when they come out on the 8th? Um, well, we're working with... Uh, a, a few local uh, companies uh, that are going to help us out of course we're in the canadian tire parking lot uh, canadian tire has donated something that we're going to raffle off as well as uh, rhino's towing is going to provide uh, uh, something to raffle uh, Cass is going to provide something to raffle off and uh, tim hortons uh, down on water street has uh, provided us with uh, hot chocolate um, so essentially uh, uh, bill newell will be with us on site uh, he'll be taking the, the donations and uh, we're going to give out tickets. So uh, when you give a donation, we're going to give you a ticket. And uh, through the evening, we're going to do, uh, I guess, four draws. Uh, we're going to try and do it through Facebook Live um, just to kind of draw people in um, and, uh, you know, give us a little more, uh, more airtime. Right. Well, we hope to see uh, everybody out there on uh, December the 8th from 6 until 8. Uh, fuel bank fundraiser through the uh, Yarmouth Fire Department. And, and great to hear that so many businesses are, are helping to, to step up too. So uh, always nice to see that community support. And, and what's that support like between the fire department and businesses? Oh, it's uh, historically been been great. Um, you know, uh, as you know, as, as volunteers specifically, um, everybody has another job. Uh, so uh, we we appreciate when those volunteers are able to leave work to, to do this other job that's obviously incredibly valuable and, and needed. Uh, so we try, uh, and I try, to get out there and, and speak with these these businesses and, and help them understand, you know, just how um, you know helpful it is for them to, to work with us when so these employees can get out there and, and do this this very important work. And uh, want to talk a bit about uh, how things are going at the fire department as far as uh, you know recruitment goes. I know you're getting new members in uh, all the time. I understand, Mike. It's a very diverse group of firefighters you have at your department right now. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, we're very fortunate. Uh, of course, uh, you know the town of Yarmouth municipality um, have have had a lot of uh, influx of, of persons to, to the community. And, uh, you know, from, from different uh, ethnic backgrounds and, and, and that sort of thing. And we, we currently have people from, you know, as far as Korea, uh, the Philippines. Um, you know, we, we, of course, we have our, our local, uh, you know, uh, diverse ethnic backgrounds uh, within our community. And uh, I would say we're, we're incredibly diverse uh, amongst our volunteers. Um, and we're, we're very, very happy to, to have these people. And uh, the 
what what they explain to me when they when they come on is that you know the, the town and the municipality of course has has welcomed them with open arms and uh, helped them build roots here and they want to give back so uh, you know it's great to see that uh, you know they feel that supported and they want to give back to their communities uh, these people come here with uh, you know a, a generally a, a great skill set and, and a want to to do this job and it's incredibly helpful for us in the community are you still recruiting right now could you always use more more members absolutely um we're always looking for uh you know people uh that are interested in, in doing this kind of work um you know we we always need you know more many hands make light work so we we need all these people to be able to uh you know make this job that much easier for the community how has it been over the the fall months? I know with the weather change, of course, uh, there's that risk for uh, chimney fires, different things. Uh, how has that risk been uh, going? I guess for the past few weeks or months. Um, as usual, um, we this time of year, of course, a lot of the you know the different fires we get are, are somewhat cyclic. Uh, chimney fires, specifically, you know, people uh, this time of year obviously are having those fires to, to keep their houses warm. And, uh, you know, sometimes uh, the, 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 the checks and balances like cleaning our chimneys and, and our flues and our, our stovepipes uh, get forgotten. And, you know, that's where uh, the chimney fires begin. So, you know, we'd just like to remind people, uh, you know, this time of year to make sure that uh, you get a professional to check and clean your chimney, uh, maintain your, you know, your flue pipe and, and your furnaces, as well as your, your oil furnaces, uh, propane furnaces. You know, all those devices need to be maintained by professionals to make sure that they're safe. Mm-hmm. So important, and I know everyone's got holidays in the mind right now. Everyone wants to, you know, buy the Christmas presents and everything, but that is obviously much, much more important. Uh, you know, getting that, those chimneys checked out, and making sure things are safe. And uh, do you have any other winter safety tips to get to your home ready and fire safe? Oh, I could provide several. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll pick on a couple, I guess. Um, you know, obviously, we always preach smoke detectors and, and carbon monoxide detectors. Um, you know, you want to make sure that uh, those, those smoke detectors and carbon monoxide detectors have, have uh, new batteries in them. Uh, we change them annually. And, uh, you know, when every smoke detector has and, sm- and carbon, mono- carbon monoxide detector, they have, they have a lifespan. So you want to check the labels on, on, your, on those devices and make sure that they're not past their lifespan. As they get older, they get less sensitive. And uh, obviously that, that could be, you know, a negative outcome. Um, you know, as well, we could uh, we could suggest you know out there in the community that uh, people remember that if you have a fire hydrant in front of your home, um, and we have some heavy snow or, or regular snow conditions, uh, you know, if you can try and get out there and, and clean those hydrants out, so that when if there's an incident, we're able to get to that hydrant and and provide water to put out that fire uh, that much faster. It's very helpful for us. That's absolutely huge. Keeping those fire hydrants uh, cleared of snow we know the snow is coming it hasn't arrived yet but uh I'm, i assume it'll be here uh, very very soon so um also i wanted to touch on i know this is more of a provincial thing for firefighters but i see that 50 50 every week and i just think wow it gives so much back to all the different fire departments uh, in the communities how huge has that been uh for fire firefighters in nova scotia oh i would say it's been uh a, a, a phenomenal uh, way for, for, for departments to be able to continue to raise funds uh, to, to support their operational expenses. Uh, the fire service uh, is, is very expensive to maintain. The equipment we use is extremely expensive to, to purchase and maintain. Um, and, you know, this, this was a way for departments to continue to, to support the, their, their needs through COVID. Uh, you know, it was, it was uh, one of the main venues, I would suggest, for a lot of 
uh, volunteer services through their through their province definitely right and i know uh, uh the local union here have been giving uh money out to different groups in the community as well they have yep they've uh they've found a few uh a few causes that they've they've helped out through the past uh, couple of years and it's uh they've definitely uh done some good they have uh, great money back uh, into the community there, so that's always helpful uh, for sure. And uh, I know through the pandemic, uh, things are kind of – it never really stops for the fire department. I mean, through the pandemic, because obviously you're emergency workers, you're, you're out there, you're, you're in the field. But uh, have things been able to be, you know, eased up a bit as far as restrictions go around the, the department? Yeah, um, we, we still try and, you know, uh, be mindful of, you know, the social distancing. And, of course, as everybody is aware, you know, the, the flu and – and uh, COVID is still still around quite heavily, so um, it's it's touching us all. Where it, it's challenging for for all the all the fire departments to keep uh, you know uh, current and and the training current and, and keep the level of service at uh, where it needs to be. But uh, you know the fire service we're we're very good at working in adverse conditions, so we uh, we always find a way to persevere. Well, it's been great to hear this update on the Armouth Fire Department. Uh, is there anything else we should know or uh, anything that's that's coming up that we can look out for? Um, well, sure. On January 1st, uh, weather permitting, we're going to be doing our, our polar bear dip. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, so, you know, if anyone uh, would like to get uh, really cold and really wet, um, you know, meet us at Lake Milo on uh, on the uh, January 1st. Uh, there'll be more information to come with timelines. Uh, you know, in the past, we've we've had to get out there with chainsaws and, and cut <laughs> holes in the ice. And then other years, it, it felt like it was spring. So, uh, you know, we'll see where that takes us this year, but it could be interesting. I really don't have a prediction. It's just so up and down with this weather here this time of year, isn't it? It is, yep. Uh, it, it seems that Yarmouth has this microclimate that uh, it, it changes changes day to day. It uh, keeps it interesting. Well, last year, I can remember talking to you one in February about uh, ice skating, Uh because the, all the lakes and ponds had frozen over, and that hadn't happened here in a long, long time for, for safety for skating. So I guess yeah. you just never know, right? No, absolutely. Um, I, I, you know, obviously, we you know, I'm a, I'm a small-town boy, and, uh, you know, um, we're used to our little town, but it, it seems as though, uh, you know, things have changed and are, are continually changing, especially in the weather, and uh, every day is an adventure especially in our business. It sure is. And, uh, well, we've been the Sun Belt, I guess, down here for a while. We've avoided uh, we avoided Fiona here, and uh, hopefully the good weather will uh, continue for uh, for Yarmouth overall. Well, Mike DeVoe, the chief of the Yarmouth Fire Department, joining us in studio this morning. And, uh, again, the main point, uh, December fundraiser, the 8th from 6 to 8 p.m., uh, Canadian Tire parking lot for the Yarmouth Fuel Bank. Uh, you can bring your donations out uh, for that, and we hope to see everyone there. Thanks. I will say that hopefully we'll have to stay longer than eight o'clock. I uh, would like, you know, hopefully the community is uh, throws a lot of support into this and we can stay until nine o'clock and yes. we, we'd love to be able to do that. We would love to see that as well. Thanks so much, Mike, for your time. And uh, if I don't talk to you beforehand, have a great holiday season. Thank you very much, Kevin. And that's our program for today. Thanks for listening. For story suggestions or to submit feedback, email news.cjls at radioabl.ca or call our news line at 902-749-1919. To listen to archived versions of our program, visit us online at cjls.com and click on The Weekender. The Weekender is a production of the Y95 Newsroom and is brought to you by Eris Yarmouth, your one-stop healthy home center.